0: okay jesus christ hello possums welcome to australian gothic a podcast about cursed australiana joining me today is my lovely co-host josie how are you
1: uh hi hello there um you don't want to do a voice no no i want to so it was nice um, doing this podcast with you, Lucas. You don't want to do a voice for a whole hour? That wouldn't be fucking bleak.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. We are not going to do Dame Edna voices. But I, I'm recovering from like a kindy cold from my child, so like that, that has probably hurt my throat a bit. So, uh, yeah, for those of you still listening, uh, sorry, uh, we will not be doing Dame Edna, Edna impressions, and uh, hopefully after this episode, uh, you won't be doing them either. I know (laughs) you're all so keen to do Day Medina Impressions. (laughs) Josie, can you tell us what we're going to be doing today? (laughs) If you are still interested in being involved.
1: (laughs) Yes, that was very funny because I was sitting here. You're just like, oh, I've got an intro bit planned. And I was like, oh, yeah. And it never occurred to me that you'd do a Dame Edna voice, yet here we are.
0: <laughs> One of the shittiest Dame Edna impressions. Not that it's worth being able to do a good Dame Edna impression.
1: No, that's that should be a point of pride, if anything. Today's topic is Barry Humphreys slash Dame Edna. They are hard to separate, but Barry Humphreys is the man. Before this episode, um, I think you floated Barry Humphreys to me, and I was like, who's that? And you're like, Dame Edna. Ha! <laughs> And I
0: was like, okay, yeah, sure. Man, I'm starting to learn that you're you're only about six years younger than me, but there was something that happened, and I think it was about at the Sydney two thousand Olympics where like children were expected to know about all this dated Australian shit, like you were expected to know who Dame Edna was, you know, yes, you were expected to give a shit about it. And then after that, thankfully, like our children are free to not know about <laughs> any of this any of this whole shit. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, today's episode is going to be about a, uh, Both the character Dame Edna Everidge, the actor who plays him, Barry Humphreys. We're going back to the bad old days of the podcast, of our first episode, where we're discussing a widely beloved uh, Australian institution that has actually been, like, rotten and horrible this whole time. I'm gonna do a big content warning right at the start for some racism, uh, namely racism against uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders and uh, Asians. Uh, mm-hmm. some low-key Islamophobia and of course uh, transphobia. So we'll we'll give warnings for those sections where appropriate.
1: Jesus. Fuck. Just the warning are bleak on its own. <laughs> yeah, shit's
0: sure, really bleak. Um so basically Damon Everidge, uh yeah, was a character created by Barry Humphreys and really was, like I cannot understate it, like a beloved character, both like in Australia, in the UK and America a little bit. Mm -hmm. along with Crocodile Dundee, was, like, one of the most well-known Australian characters. I am kind of sad to say, we will get into this, there were moments in the video content that we watched where I did laugh once or twice, but, like... Me too. Not often enough for it to be good, or for, and, you know, nothing is worth, like, all the horrible shit said by both Humphreys and Everidge. Mm -hmm. As structured by way for this episode, we're gonna do some quick background on Barry Humphreys, the actor comedian uh then a rundown on dame edna the development of the character and then for this episode i tragically forced josie to watch uh three pieces of content uh we're going to watch an episode of the dame edna experience from 1989 then an episode of the dame edna treatment from 2007 an incredibly painful appearance on nightly horseshit the project and then josie decided to add an extra video because she's a glutton for punishment um a promo video from the sequel to the adventures of barry mckenzie and uh then we'll discuss our final thoughts yes i cannot stress that i was like finished watching all this like dog shit dated television and was just like okay fuck i finally did it i watched all these horrible shows and then josie was like hey we should add this to the part i was just like
1: fuck yeah, I am I think you're going to be surprised by my take on that one.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I'm, in, I'm very intrigued because yeah, yeah. I have thoughts on that very last video because I Jesus wept.
1: Um. <laughs> Jesus did weep, all right. <laughs> Fucking hell.
0: Before we jump in, Josie, was there anything else you wanted to add?
1: If we're doing dad chat, my only notes, I was in a very bad mood when I was writing um, my dad chat notes for the week. Uh, I oh, said, okay. Nothing really, volunteered to help out at my kids' school excursion, and I overheard one kid say, life is pain, and I really felt that. Jesus, okay, Josie, fucking <laughs> hell. Emo is shit.
0: Yeah, Jesus Christ. Wow, like, uh, I don't know, the kids are all right. Maybe they're tapped into, <laughs> tapped into things a little bit better than we were as children. Um, right. So, uh, I will, of course, insert like some ominous voiceover to say where you can skip the dad chat. Seven, Seven minutes, 32 minutes, 32 seconds. seconds roughly there (laughs) i would like to thank josie very much for uh recording this episode from her holiday her like second you know long overdue holiday
1: oh yeah yeah uh, yeah that it was a brief bad bad mood i've been in a great mood otherwise um yeah i'm in port douglas at the moment gonna see some crocodiles tomorrow
0: fuck yeah yeah. Port Douglas is so nice. I went there years ago with like my mum and sister. Yeah, all of your photos. If you're not seeing like Josie's photos on Twitter, they're so good. I am very jealous. I really want to go back to Port Douglas. Like maybe once my, once my newborn son is a little bit older and is not such a potato.
1: <laughs>
0: I I don't have much to contribute to Dad chat. This is probably like our first, you know, proper full week home with like both kids. My two year old is like is very cuddly but out of control. Yes. Um, my <laughs> my son is great um we are we are getting used to sibling life
1: mm. yeah i've never had to experience that that's got to be a whole new uh thing to tackle i imagine
0: we're getting used to it we're getting used to like having the two kids and meaning like because previously it's like ah oh, one parent wants to do like one thing so you watch the kid while i like do the chores yes. But now it's like no now there's two kids and one of them like really can't do anything and like has to be watched pretty closely Mm -hmm. and uh the other one just wants to run around everywhere and also wants to be like picked up and held constantly like the amount of times where my two-year-old has been like nah pick me up and I'm like I
1: can't oh my gosh that's so sad
0: but uh no that's no that's really all like uh things are lovely sorry I forgot to mention to our audience that you know of course I start a podcast you know with you (laughs) two months before I'm due to have a baby and then the worst possible thing happens in that people seem to like it. And, I know. Like, I it. And How rude. Like, <laughs> if, if like five people listen to this show, it's just like, eh, it's probably okay if I miss an episode. But since like we're actually getting like some, some lovely feedback, some lovely people like, you know, listening to it and telling their friends about it, I'm just like, oh, oh shit. Okay. Oh, uh, God damn it! <laughs> now, now I, now I got to make this thing good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, but yeah shall we move on with the show
0: sadly yes okay so <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about what you've known about Dame Edna before this
1: oh okay yeah so sort of as you said growing up you were expected to know who Dame Edna was but no one actually like I never sat down and watched a Dame Edna show watched any I don't know if she even did stand-up basically I always knew who Dame Dame Edna Everidge was. I knew that she wasn't a real person, but I did understand that she was bigger than the man behind her. Um so I guess yeah, like my earliest exposure to drag was Dame Edna, but what it was whatever. Um but basically one note I did make was that Dame Edna is such an institution in Australia that if you just saw a picture of glittery cat eye glasses and then like a cut out of purple hair like a purple perm it's so iconic that the two together you just be like oh that's day medna you don't need any man behind that necessarily to understand what you're talking about if that sort of makes sense
0: mine was very similar as a little kid like i saw a lot of like still photos and like triumphant imagery and it was just like presented as if you the viewer were meant to understand like ah oh, yes that is dame edna that is like legendary basically drag queen like i'm glad you said it first because like yeah basically a drag queen and like one of our most successful australian entertainers when i was 11 or 12 we had cable and the comedy channel for australia day one year just played episodes of the dame edna experience oh no and as a kid and as a kid who was, like, interested in film and, like, Australian film and Australian culture, was just like, okay, I should try and find out about this, who the fuck this Dame Edna person is. I watched quite a few episodes, uh, just somehow focused on it. Didn't really understand who the guests were, didn't really get most of the jokes. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't really when I was much older, when I watched some episodes and really understood, like, okay, it's kind of vaudeville like, you know, she sings, she has guests on uh the things that dame edna is really known for is being very glamorous being very biting and because she's resented this persona where she's like a massive superstar when she interviews someone like say lauren bacall or sigourney weaver she can be an asshole to them
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is a little bit satisfying i will admit
0: brief background on um, barry humphreys was born in 1934 he was into theater and imma- an imaginative play from a young age very creative um Neurodivergent. Uh, He later identified in life as having autism spectrum disorder. Uh, He has a very famous quote about how theater was a shield for him. He's quoted as saying, People couldn't hit you if they were laughing. Uh, Hmm. So he was someone who really leaned into that. His parents really tried to repress this, but Humphreys only started acting out harder, uh, creating various personae. You know, as early as his teens, he was like creating characters and acting them out and only acting as these characters. Huh. Yeah, so he was, you know, as his family became more affluent, he was sent to a, you know, very posh grammar school. Uh, Unfortunately, this was a school that put a big emphasis on, like, sport and, like, you know, STEM kind of activities. But Humphreys, of course, being, like, a little theatre kid, only wanted to do English and art, you know, at which he mostly excelled. Uh, There's a very famous story about whenever he was forced to watch the school's rugby union games, Humphreys would bring along one of those stools that, like, folds up and, like, Stabs into the ground. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, I know the one.
0: He would sit on the stool facing away from the game and would knit.
1: Oh, look, I don't like the guy, but I i respect it. I respect that
0: <laughs> as I, I knit do. myself. Me too. Like, it's such a. It's so dramatic. Food, like, <laughs> yeah, like, and it's so dramatic as well. Like, this was a guy who, like, should have been bullied, but was somehow beyond it.
1: Incredible.
0: <laughs> Once he graduated, he studied law and a fine arts degree. Uh, but dropped out to pursue, uh, to become basically, according to a number of sources, one of the leading Dadaists. became one of the movement's leading agents in Australia during his, like, teens and twenties in the fifties or so. The main thing that Humphreys did was basically performance art, which basically consisted of being doing pranks in public. Some of his most famous pranks include boarding a plane with an air sickness bag filled with uh, something called Russian salad, which is a very creamy, lumpy salad with chunks of vegetables. Oh,
1: I know the one. Yep.
0: Once the plane was flying, he would pretend to make himself vomit. Then he would open up the sick bag containing the salad dressing and start eating it.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: to the horror of the other passengers.
1: That's so yucky.
0: Probably the other most famous prank he did was on April Fool's Day he placed a roast dinner and a glass of champagne in an inner city rubbish bin. Later when people were going to work he approached it while dressed as a homeless person, lifted it out, sat down and ate it in front of a crowd of shocked onlookers. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: One scene where he, you know, plays a French guy who beats up a blind guy on a bus.
1: Who what on a bus?
0: One of his fellow Dadaists was dressed as a blind man and uh, Humphreys was dressed as like an obnoxious French guy and uh, Humphreys would basically pretend that he was beating up a disabled person.
1: Holy shit, dude!
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and uh sorry, I was going to say it earlier. Barry Humphreys has a lot, of co- lot in common with Eric Andre. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Eric Andre cited day Medina as an influence because <laughs> so so much of eric andre's interview style is making jokes at the expense of his influential guests and then yes. doing these kind of like insane the other half of the eric andre show which i don't like that much is doing these insane stunts at the expense of the public right uh, now humphrey's intention was to shock you know inner city middle class people out of their complacency mm-hmm I am not a someone who has studied Dadaism. I don't know at what point, you know, your theatre becomes, like, shocking and transgressive and just becomes you being a prick. Yep. <laughs> Humphreys struggled with alcoholism during the 60s and 70s.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Uh, it was a big problem. His family were very concerned, not only for his career, but for, like, his health. He has been sober since the 1970s, uh, so he claims.
1: Hey, like, if that's true, good on him for that one specific thing.
0: Yep, yep, good, good on you. <laughs> Yeah, so in 1955, Barry Humphreys was a member of the Melbourne Theatre Company. He created the character of Dame Edna for a review called Return Fair. During Return Fair, uh, Edna Everidge, who is a house-proud, inner-city, middle-class Melbourne mother, offers her inner-city Melbourne home as Olympics accommodation for the upcoming 1956 Olympics. Okay. Yeah, uh, the character was originally created as a way to entertain his fellow actors during theatre tours. And apparently there's reports that it's partially based on Humphreys's own mother, mm-hmm. uh, but also that the character was a satire of the various country women's association members who would meet the troop when they went to each town. Humphreys is clearly turning, has this like quite, I want to say kind of edge lordy, if I'm being reductive and, you know, really sort of snotty way about him. So, you know, he's meeting these like nice old ladies and maybe he's seeing something sinister in them or he's just being a dismissive prick. It's hard to know.
1: I have a lot to say on that later.
0: <laughs> okay, yes, yes. We are alluding... Josie has done some research.
1: <laughs> after saying I would not be.
0: <laughs> yes, after after we all asked her not to, but but uh, we thank her for it.
1: I can't help myself.
0: Uh, Humphreys tried to make uh, Edna Reverage a big thing in London. Humphreys was friends with the guys from Monty Python. He hmm. knew Spike Milligan. He knew Peter Cook. Uh, he first tried to... Perform a show with Edna Everidge at uh, Peter Cook's nightclub in the 1960s, but failed to find any success until the 70s.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Apparently, the character was too mousy for like the raucous, the raucous oh. nightclub attendees.
1: Oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, sorry. I'm just my my uh, what I've written about Dame Edna that actually puts a lot of puzzle piece. It's like the center puzzle piece that I was missing. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. It seems that like. The character was described as being too mousy. So we may see what gave Humphreys the inspiration to make her this, like, glamorous, you know, giga star, according to her own reports.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so one of Edna's first and most well-known on-screen roles was in the film The Adventures of Barry McKenzie from 1972. That'll probably be its own episode. Humphreys actually first created the character of Barry McKenzie, a drunken beer-swilling Aussie yobbo for a comic strip called Private Eye. And again, connecting to another comedian, um, Barry Humphreys had disdain for yobbo culture. He hated. Yes. Like, because he was this arty-farty, like, elite, you know, surrealist, the beer-swilling yobbo was basically, like, you know, something he hated virulently, mm-hmm. which is very funny because Barry McKenzie went on to become an icon amongst the people he was meant to parody. Uh, people Interesting. People fucking loved Barry McKenzie. <laughs> it was very much like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character, Ali G, who was meant to be a piss-take of, like, white boys who dress like black rappers. hmm As someone who knew a lot of people who were into that culture, they fucking loved Ali G. They totally missed that they were being skewed. Yes. In the film, Ed Everidge appears as Barry's aunt and accompanies him across his, you know, and is basically the straight man to Barry McKenzie as he does, like, horrible stuff in London. Yeah, okay. In the movie sequel, Barry McKenzie holds his own. At the end of the movie, Everidge is officially made a dame in a cameo by then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. Yes. (laughs) They were somehow able to rope in a sitting Prime Minister and probably, like, one of our few kind of good Prime Ministers to appear in this movie.
1: Yeah, that that's a weird one. I would be curious. I, yeah, I'd be curious to find out more about that. But yeah, very weird.
0: At this point after the movie, uh, Humphreys adopts the grand persona. The fact that Dame Edna is a dame and is this like duchess, lives in like, you know, big mansions and is a friend to all the superstars. And the adoption of this grand persona led to a very successful theatre run in the UK in the 1970s. Humphreys codified the character as a glamorous superstar this weird woman from the strange land of Australia who treated high-profile celebrities with, at best indifference, at worst, like scorn. Yes. Character came much more acerbic and biting. Apparently uh, Humphreys was quite annoyed by the reign of Margaret Thatcher. You know, was apparently like quite outraged by her reign at the time.
1: That's actually surprising. (laughs) I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah, when I read that, I was just like, what? He's so right-wing. It's so unusual that... You know, he thought Margaret Thatcher sucked when you know, when you just hear about his politics at the time.
1: 100%.
0: So the appeal of uh, Edna Everidge was uh, her glamour, the ridiculous costumes, the crazy sets, the egomania, which the character, like, exuded, and her biting wit. I will give Humphreys one thing. Like, his ability to improvise, for the most part, is pretty good. It notably drops off in his later career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she would get these incredibly famous guests on and treat them like they were either, you know, common friends or beneath her. Yes. The character was supposedly retired in 2012 after Humphreys had... Humphreys, by his own admission, thought he was getting a bit stale. Sadly, no, he... The character would continue. I think the <laughs> money was just too good somehow. Yeah. Uh, doing compare-the-market ads with the fucking meerkats. Uh, oh, my God. That was that was worth bringing
1: Dame Edna back for. I forgot about those
0: now uh humphreys has had controversial shit all through his life but in 2016 it really came to a head barry humphreys made transphobic remarks about Caitlyn jenner mm. i won't repeat them here because they're fucking gross mm-hmm. uh this was prompted after jermaine greer made similar attacks no. on Caitlyn jenner jermaine <sighs> greer famous feminist writer of the female eunuch has sadly come out as like a massive transphobe she sucks yep which is a shame this is sadly like a tradition of like you know boomer age you know once progressive people turning into monsters Mm -hmm. then a fucking bizarre thing happens where the character of dame edna tries to distance herself from barry humphreys by making a social media post claiming oh don't worry about barry he's just a bit dotty he's she what i'll get into the relationship between humphreys and everage in a second uh in the same post she claimed to have aboriginal and jewish ancestry
1: stop it no.
0: Yeah, so she no, was exactly. just just continuing to just continuing to be an asshole. Everyone was deeply confused by it and was mostly just like, "All right, fuck off."
1: Like I oh my god. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was okay, the relationship between uh the character and Barry Humphreys. Barry Humphreys talks about Dame Edna as a character. He is like, "Oh, she is a character I made. She does not exist." Dame Edna is extremely method and refers to Barry Humphreys as her manager.
1: Interesting.
0: Uh, and, you know, depending on the situation, he is fired or whatever, like, Dame Edna is real and Barry Humphreys is also real. It is some real, like, weird method shit.
1: I have... So this is... I was going to keep this for later, but that's interesting. And it's clear that Barry Humphreys can't keep his fucking story straight because I have a quote mm-hmm. from Barry Humphreys here. Quote, so Mm -hmm. this is Humphreys. Quote, it's as if I'm channeling some other person. I say things other people wish they could say. What amuses me is that people have accepted Edna at her own estimation of herself. People want to go along with the joke, but it's more than a joke. It's an idea. And it's not exactly exactly calculated because a lot of it I do unconsciously. I keep thinking I'd better put her in her box, but every time I open it up, she comes out a little more real. And that whole, she comes out a little more real. It really is like, yeah, you are hiding behind Dame Edna. Like, if that kind of makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, she's, she's his sock puppet, really.
1: <laughs> yes, that's what I believe. And, and now that you say that, like, coping, like, being these characters was literally a way that he coped with what sounds like a pretty, um, you know... The more that we understand autism and the way that, like, how to not raise a child with autism, it sounded like he probably went through a whole bunch of shit, you know? Yeah,
0: it sounded like he was comfortable, but, like, being a neurodivergent kid, you know, probably, you know, copped bullying and everything like that and being different and, like, parents and teachers not understanding what the fuck was going on.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I have a lot to say about that, that like this specific distancing and like this is a character. I just, I also just don't think that's true.
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, so now we move on to the fun part. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look up my notes. As I said earlier, I made Josie watch a very old uh, 1989 episode of the TV show The Dame Edna Experience. Oh, so as we alluded oh. to, the character was a massive hit in Australia and the UK. She was like a real cultural ambassador for australia in this new like you know glammed up form the dame edna experience was a two-season tv show where dame edna hosts it first from like a grand ballroom and then from her apartment which is this immensely like glamorous like loft overlooking the city and she has her friends over who are like very you know you know then you know incredibly big celebrities for 1989 for this particular episode her guests are the actress lauren McCall, the singer Tom Jones, and the British... uh, I don't know if it's naturalist or naturist. Is it naturist? If you own a zoo... He's like... Sorry, if you're... Animal dude. Animal dude, yeah, sorry. So uh, Gerald Durrell, uh, who (laughs) i have never heard of before this. Should I give background on who any of these people are, just in case no one knows who the fuck they are?
1: So I had to Google all except Tom Jones, obviously. Okay. So Gerald, old mate Gerald, he founded like he's written 40 books on nature he opened like the new jersey zoo or something like that um lauren bacall jersey zoo i think there you go (laughs) probably not new jersey (laughs) yeah um (laughs) i was a bit i was (laughs) that's amazing because i was confused and it's because i put new in front of jersey um (laughs) So Lauren Bacall, I had no idea who she was. She was married, if not partnered with, um, is it Humphrey Bogart is his name? Yep. Is that a dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, she was later in a relationship with Frank Sinatra. I bring this up because in my notes, like I just took some notes while watching these clips he sent me. And one of them was, okay, side note, I did totally Google if Lauren Bacall was Jewish I have my suspicions. Don't ask me. Just don't talk about it. (laughs) But um, she is. But this wasn't mentioned in this episode of the Dame Edna experience. And I don't think Lauren Bacall, like, she wasn't observant. Um, But anyway, while interviewing Lauren Bacall, there was a weird moment. Did you catch this?
0: There There was the weird Jewish joke. Yes.
1: It was weird, right? It was basically... Dame Edna was like something about, oh, my mum didn't want me to marry this person because he wasn't Jewish, neither is she, and neither am I, or something like that. But anyway, that, um,
0: that bit was kind of funny. Yeah,
1: and yeah, that, uh, yeah, it kind of was. But um, then Dame Edna made this weird joke about how her mum recently converted to Judaism, and that she just wanders around a lot, and now that, and now Dame quote persecutes her. I'm afraid. And, like, you could see Laura Bacall's just, she laughed, but I think there was a bit of confusion in that laugh. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah, this is something that happens more and more, and we kind of see a progression of it through the two episodes that we've watched. That, yes. Like, <laughs> it's like, at the same time, it kind of rules that Dame Edna is, like, grilling these people and making them, like, uncomfortable.
1: And, it's like, you just can tell it's how she's doing it sometimes
0: is, like, really weird. Yeah, and when she starts to get into, like, weird discriminatory shit where it's just like, oh, God, mm-hmm. like, why? No, sorry, I just have a note. I don't remember the point or what happened, so that probably says enough. So it's like, can't help myself, Loki laughed during the intro. Then, the sh- then she makes some jokes about ableism. Her husband is, like, long-suffering and has various illnesses, her fictional husband, Norm. And, you know, she jokes about, like, building a ramp to the penthouse. Uh, It's very stupid. At this point in the episode, we do meet Madge. Oh my God.
1: Fucking, again, I had no idea about Dame Edna's actual comedy and comedy style. Her treatment of Madge, who is like her cleaner, right?
0: Uh, Bridesmaid. What? Bridesmaid. That's the thing. She's like, she's my bridesmaid and I keep her around.
1: That's weird. Okay. I just, so I saw her as like the help sort of thing was like um...
0: she's initially like you know cleaning the portrait and everything like that but it's just like no she helps out but she is mostly just like her role in the show is to sit there and just look like completely deadpan and like despairing the whole time and then to put name tags on the guests and like a really like goes up to lauren Bacall like this incredibly famous actress and like slap this big ugly name tag onto her like really cool suit like
1: yeah but the way she talks about madge it's like, I feel, that was like the first, like, oh, I think Barry Humphreys hates women.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm.
1: It He was just always talking about how ugly Madge is and stuff like that, and it it was just really gross. And then Lauren Bacall um, played along with it later on, which wasn't cool.
0: Madge's role is a punching bag. Yeah. Uh, the reason I say she kicks ass is because the actress, like, even, because every now and then, every, like, ten minutes, Damon does occasionally say or do something funny. And Madge is just, like, totally impassive, just stares off in the distance. Yes. (laughs) And so, like, that's talent. That's very cool. Um, Madge did eventually become, like, almost as popular, if not more popular than Edna. Really? Yeah, like, she was in commercials, and apparently, like, you know, Humphreys used this as fodder. Like, Dame Edna was, like, not mad about Madge, like being a breakout character on the show
1: right right
0: oh so that's very weird sorry uh going through my notes a little bit more similar to eric andre and you know even stephen colbert during his early years where like he purposely tries to make the guests uncomfortable a lot of points where i talk about how bored i'm getting
1: oh it's so boring
0: because there are occasionally just stretches where it just gets really fucking boring uh sorry i've got a note josie's gonna love the jewish jokes
1: wait like were you being serious
0: no, no, this was no. This was very sarcastic that you were going to... It's like, oh, oh, no, like, shit.
1: I was just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? I did admittedly laugh. So Tom Jones is on there, and he ends up, like, singing a shit. But there's, like, the joke is that he gets stuck in the elevator, so he has to, like... It's, like, stuck between two floors, so he has to, like, lay down on his side really sexily and, like, give his interview from the elevator to Dame Edna. And... <laughs> The part that I did laugh at was like Tom Jones was talking about his childhood, and Dame Edna like gives side eye to the camera, like, dude, this guy's so boring. And then (laughs) she's just, and then she just closes the door on him. (laughs) And I did laugh at that. I did fucking laugh at that so much. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's hard to tell how much of it is rehearsed because like he does tom jones does seem to be like laughing like he's surprised like he can't believe what's happening but uh right yeah that part was funny also like so much of these fucking shows if you watch them like shows made in australia from between the 70s and 80s so much of it is just like double entendres and puns and it gets Ugh. really fucking tired it's so tired I did kind of laugh at Dame Edna's joke about like how Tom Jones has been going up and down her shafts all night and lift. Like, oh, I that, was, that was stupid.
1: From memory, <laughs> it, that was the first in the show. <laughs> it Then it went downhill from there, but I gave that one a little <laughs> as well. So you're forgiven.
0: Every now and then when Dame Edna is trying to like string jokes together, it feels a bit like Tense. It's just like, oh fuck, is this gonna land or is it just gonna Uh, yeah. I found it excruciating. Like, I suppose there are some people who must get a kick out of like, ooh, this is like watching someone on a tightrope. Like, are they gonna nail it or are they gonna fall? But like, no, it was just excruciating watching like, you know, this then like fifty year old comedian like trying to like string together
1: bits. It's really bad. Like, I don't know if you know any stand up comedians in real life. I've had the uh the bad luck of meeting a few and it's like (laughs) everything they say, they're trying to make it a bit. And I'm just like, please stop. Just please stop. Like, even if it's going to land, it's so pained. Stop it. And that's what watching Dame Edna is like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, Oh, it sucks. The, (laughs) um i don't really have any other jokes about the episode other than like gerald durrell seems who was famously had drinking problems Um, just seems very like kind of dull and slow most of the time like his interview really fucking dragged um tom jones and lauren bacall do a little bit better just because like they are also kind of singer celebrities so they Mm -hmm. they kind of know how to like play along with it but yeah for the most part like i i really dragged through it (laughs) um do you have any other observations about the dame experience
1: no and i'm gonna confess like i didn't watch all of the day and treatment because that's how i felt about it i was just like this is too much this is horrible <laughs> this is the worst tv I've ever watched
0: okay cool i did make it all the way through. <sighs> i don't think i'm gonna have like much else to say but uh, i've got i can't believe you watch you watch so much hey hey it's saturday
1: I, i've watched and too this much. was too
0: boring for
1: you look i skipped through a lot of hey hey at saturday
0: okay that's fair enough uh, i in that case are you happy for me to skip through to uh 2007's the dame edna treatment
1: go for it
0: okay so the concept of this show was the same thing like dame edna has celebrities on and is mean to them but uh the conceit of the show is that dame edna is running a like spa treatment place <laughs> and uh, the celebrities and by extension the audience are all coming to her for like to be as glamorous as her it's like really you know quite contrived to be honest uh, and the guests on this episode of The Day Mender Treatment are Sigourney Weaver, Misha Barton from The O.C.
1: Oh, that dates it, doesn't it? Yep,
0: yep. <laughs> uh, Michael Bolton, uh, and then, like, little extra cameos from, like, Patrick Stewart and Mr. Bean and some <laughs> some hot lawyer chick. I don't remember her name because, like, she's not a public figure hi everyone this is editor lucas uh the woman i'm referring to her name is nancy Del olio she's an italian american lawyer and media personality uh she hosted a show on mtv about uh, football players homes uh she's a property lawyer she's considered very glamorous i'd not heard of her before this
1: she sounds cool though
0: <laughs> yeah yeah she seems really cool but she's really there just for like a quite shit enema joke involving oh. mr bean and Oh my gosh! What the fuck? So you tapped out before the Mr. Bean enema joke? Yes. Okay. Well, you didn't miss out on much because I was like, "Oh fuck, Mr. Bean." Okay, cool. It might get funny. It it really wasn't. No. It was, it was quite lame, like and and like gross, but like it's like why isn't this funny? This is Mr. Uh. Bean doing like proper scat humor. What the fuck? Mm, okay. Oh my god. So look, uh, you would have been there for the bit where like. Sigourney Weaver is introduced. She sits down, and Dame Edna is just like, "Oh wait, that's my necklace. Give give that to me," (laughs) and forces Sigourney Weaver to like give her her jewelry. (laughs) That's
1: that's, okay. If I knew nothing else about Dame Edna, that's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, that bit was weird because Sigourney Weaver is clearly just like, "Wait, what the fuck? You want me to give you my jewelry?" And like (laughs) Dame Edna puts it in like a pneumatic tube. And this is a bit like when Misha Barton comes on, like Daymender is just like, oh, okay, we need to like hold your rings for security. And Misha Barton is like, oh, I don't know if I can get them off. And then Daymender looks at them as just like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just like, oh, these rings are too cheap for me. You incredibly well-paid Hollywood actress. Yeah, yeah. Again, that bit was kind of funny as well. Like, uh the one joke that properly made me laugh in this and then basically nothing else was like, she's talking to Sigourney Weaver and she says, you know, Sigourney, you know, actresses of a certain age like us find their parts starting to dry up.
1: Oh.
0: I I laughed. I'm sorry.
1: Sometimes things can ju- again, sometimes it lands. Sometimes it lands.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, Mr. Bean shows up for a bit where like the hot lawyer chick, uh, voice over me, will add her name here. Nancy Delolio, idiot thank you voice over me she's getting an enema and mr bean comes in and like attaches a vacuum to it and like gets poo all over <laughs> daughter, who is like the madge for this episode
1: um it okay, is like shocking sure. funny oh this sounds I, very fun. it's not
0: though i was sitting and watching it and i was just like this sucks how is this bad and like it's it's rowan atkinson and everything like I'm so devastated that the description I'm giving you is like funnier it's than the fu- Oh I <laughs> Okay, fuck it. I'm gonna share the clip of the scene on YouTube. Everyone let me know if my... Maybe maybe I was just like so jaded and annoyed by everything I'd watched so far, but uh yeah, I did not find it funny. Yeah, uh, sorry, my next note is like sometimes making the celebrities uncomfortable just feels uncomfortable to watch. Like the Misha Barton segment, like Misha just isn't that scorny weaver at least understands what's going on and kind of like gets involved
1: mm. and you
0: know starts like starts like rolling with the punches like you know
1: yes and sort of thing
0: yeah yep
1: she's done an improv class before
0: dame edna is like asking questions about like her and her partner's sex life and scorny ah. was just kind of rolling with it yeah like it, it honestly like acquitted herself very well in a situation where like like misha barton who was like oh, in her 20s at the time was honestly like oh no. <laughs>
1: You know, yeah. kind of honestly
0: caught off. Like, sometimes it's just honestly, like, not that funny. You know, when Michael Bolton comes out, he sings a song. It kind of sucks. I don't know. Like, I like Michael Bolton's new fixture as, like, a comedic actor with, like, Scott Aukerman.
1: No idea who any of these people are. I'm so sorry.
0: Uh, okay, fuck. Sorry. Uh, Michael Bolton is a, was a singer who was popular in the 80s. He had a mullet. He has done some good songs. Uh, Scott Aukerman did the show Comedy Bang Bang. Have you ever seen that? No. I'm so sorry. I'm not
1: yes and you right
0: now. No, no, no. So anyway, uh please check out Michael Bolton's very sexy Valentine's Day special on Netflix. I promise it's very funny and stupid.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. You maybe watch Demander videos. I don't trust you with anything right now. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> so moving
0: on, uh Michael Bolton comes out and sings a song. Uh they raid Michael Bolton's wallet. Which is kind of funny and, like, make him, like, pay a deposit and he has to, nice. like, actually get out his credit card. Nice. They make, a, they make a really tired joke about Michael Bolton who had a mullet during the 80s, so they make a joke about that. But then they say, like, oh, don't worry, we've still got it. And, like, Valma brings out the mullet on a tray and then it escapes, like, a creature in a lab. Amazing.
1: It's like the episode of The Simpsons where there's the evil, like, Snake's evil hair.
0: <laughs> the Treehouse of Horror ep. Yeah. Yeah, again, like after 20 minutes of like really not laughing and just being bored they added this like quite stupid joke and like (laughs) misha barton and sigourney weaver like jump when like they've clearly got like this wig on fishing wire and then just yank it off the platter and i don't know sometimes like stupid prop comedy is fun yeah and then uh probably the worst bit which uh and honestly i'm happy you didn't see the les patterson bit because it sucks uh and i knew it was going to suck um Les Patterson is another, is the other popular character done by Barry Humphreys. He is a, like, disgraced politician, minister for the arts, but he says it yarts because, like, he's gross and drunk all the time. He has, like, (laughs) fucked up teeth, his skin's all, like, messed up.
1: Oh, Barnaby Joyce.
0: Yeah, yeah, he is basically, like, you know, a pastiche of, like, gross drunken politicians.
1: (laughs) We've got plenty of those.
0: Yep, and unfortunately it is just, like, Barry Humphreys doing, like, sexism, racism, and Mm -hmm. homophobia, just, like continuously and in this sketch where it froze to like les patterson going out and doing stuff he meets up with an actress who is going to teach him how to do bollywood dancing and oh uh, no you can basically go through this like what jokes does a dipshit think of when you present indian culture to them and it's like curry
1: curry papadums uh
0: the kama sutra eating with your
1: hands yeah there you go
0: Even though the actress is in on it and has probably been briefed that, like, hey, Les Patterson is going to be a disgusting creep to you and, like, you know, proposition you for sex, it's still just really uncomfortable. And, like, it would have been really uncomfortable in 2007.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that is way too late. Is that when this was? Yeah, this is from
0: 2007.
1: Jesus. I mean, not that any time is good, but the way you've described it, I just assumed it was earlier.
0: I have another Les Patterson story, and I'm a uh, content warning for uh, racism against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Oh, uh, please skip that. ahead a couple of minutes. Um, one of the first times I really saw Dame Edna was in a show called Barry Humphries' Experiences, which they showed to us in Year 6 what? at school in 1999. It was like a documentary where Barry Humphries talks about, like, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and <sighs> to the present day. Like, Australian culture. Basically, so like you know, this is what it was like in Australia in the fifties. So it was considered educational, (laughs) and I was considering mentioning this and mentioning this in our Picnic at Hanging Rock episode, but it was just like too grim and infuriating. Um, Les Patterson, as Minister for the Arts, (laughs) talks about Picnic at Hanging Rock, and that's probably where I saw the scene of you know the Miranda scene that really like scared me as a kid. It then cuts back to Les Patterson saying, "I don't know what happened to those girls." Probably eaten by slur. Uh, yeah. Okay. The slur is an abbreviation for Aboriginal people.
1: Yep, I know the exact one.
0: Now widely understood as a slur and no one says it anymore rightly. Uh, and they showed that to me in grade six.
1: For fuck's sake. What?
0: This is how, f- this is why I'm doing this podcast.
1: That explains so much. You're trying to rewrite basically this one documentary you were showing in grade six
0: yeah just trying to process like jesus this is how much like fucking racism was around me and put onto me there was just no escape from it it's it's utterly
1: fucked no there was so much same same with me like that that's like an overarching thing that i'm sure will that will leak out over the course of this uh like this show like not this episode but like just australian gothic in general is that i mean obviously we haven't lived it in the sense that people who are non-white live it but like just like the way you're more or less groomed to be racist is like fucked up in this country
0: yeah it's unbelievable and uh yeah i'm yeah and uh basically i have nothing else to say about uh the dame ended treatment Um, my last two notes are god that sucked and god that sucked
1: Mm. Yeah, well I didn't get that far, so I knew it sucked early on and I bailed. I,
0: I can't believe we finally made you tap out of something. I, it's,
1: it's rare. It's rare. I have a high tolerance, but that just I was just like, no, nah, I'm not yeah. doing it.
0: Yep. Okay, fair enough. I, I respect your wishes. <laughs> um what was meant to be our final bit of content because sadly uh, the journey wasn't over for me because I finally had to watch Dame Edna's two thousand and sixteen appearance on the show The Project. Um The Project is a nightly like I guess news and current affairs show. It is a centrist drivel. It is uh, absolute crap. Uh, There was a point in the mid 2000 teens where people, even dirtbag leftists like me, did kind of like Walid Ali.
1: Me too.
0: Yeah, and now most people recognize that, like, okay, very important to have someone like Walid Ali, someone who looks like Walid Ali on television, but uh, God, he sucks. He's such a centrist (laughs) wanker and an elitist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a fan of him. Um, but that doesn't give uh, Dame Edna the excuse to treat him the way she did. It was really weird. I still don't necessarily know how to... Okay, you, I'm sure you'll go over it, what he's, what Dame Edna says to Walid Ali, but it felt racist or Islamophobic, but I can't tell you how. It's that thing
0: where if, if it's coming from like... If it was like a dude who looked like Walid Ali if it was another like guy his age saying these things to him you'd just be like Haha, okay
1: that's weird but whatever yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but because it's like barry humphreys who is like you know at this point in his like 80s who has said racist shit in the past before he says like he really does look like that and it's not just the lighting he says like weird stuff and i think i was expecting him to be more outwardly racist more outwardly uncomfortable towards him but it's more just like it's it's him trying to do his, like, Dame Edna is, like, passive aggressive and condescending. Mm. But it just feels wrong. Like, you know, it just feels...
1: Now that you say that, I think she knows very well. And I say, again, I, I meant to say this at the start. I do flick between she and he. And I think that has something to do with how intertwined Barry Humphries and Dame Edna are. But anyway, mm. like, I think that Barry Humphreys is well aware of what the limits are. And isn't game enough while surrounded by younger people to say what he wants to say. And so that's why it's this weird, this feels racist or Islamophobic, but I don't know how.
0: Yeah, and also just the fact that like the project presenters just immediately look fucking lost and they're just like, you know, Wally Delee says like, I don't know how you want me to react. Yeah, that
1: was pretty that was a pretty good comeback, honestly. Like, I don't know what you want me to make of that. Like what And then there was like this thing, the other one that was weird was um, Dame Edna was on there on the project to promote her line with Peter Alexander, the sleepwear brand. And she's like, yeah, I just want to make bed a bit more fun. Bed a bit more fun. I'm not sure if you believe in that sort of thing or something like that to Walid Ali.
0: Yeah, some very like low-key Islamophobia. It, but I can't a tell you... Muslim, isn't he? Like
1: but i can't yes yes he is but i can't tell you why that felt Islamophobic if that makes sense
0: probably because like Barry Humphreys doesn't all that know all that much about like Ooh. Muslims and just assumes they're anti-sex or something or like all that all Muslims are like fundamentalists like That's interesting uh, yeah it And i yeah, it i felt bring that up for
1: I'll, I'll expand on why i think that's interesting that you just sort of said that um soon but yeah that is that the whole trying to be edgy but even when they like even when barry humphreys doesn't understand the full context of how to be edgy that happens more and more um yeah it was it was just a really weird thing and everyone was just sort of like what
0: everyone looked so very uncomfortable like my second my first notes are, honestly, she al- she's always been a bit awkward, like watching her try and connect these bits and try and keep the conversation going whilst clearly, like, you know, trying to improvise, like, is very hard. And also, like, at this point is in the twilight of her career and is just, like, clearly don't- doesn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next note is, fuck, this is hard to watch.
1: He was very bad.
0: My next note is Peter Hellyer looks so fucking uncomfortable. I found that a little bit funny because there's a point where like he's saying something and then it's very slight. If you watch the clip, like Dame kind of comes towards him and he honestly looks like he wants to fucking run away.
1: Oh my God. Do you remember how a few months ago I may have had a part in spreading the very fake news that Peter Hellyer was dead? <laughs>
0: I, I do. I do remember
1: that. <laughs> that was funny it was even in the paper what the fuck yeah they wrote about it in like actual printed newspaper that there was a weird hoax going around that peter hellyer died
0: (laughs) what this means is that josie uh co-host of the show is the next orson wells so you know she she has created a panic and we'll do it again
1: it's very funny
0: (laughs) (laughs) my other notes is low-key the host of the project deserved this because i hate them i kind of enjoy seeing them uncomfortable not when you know humphreys is doing racist stuff but like they can clearly all tell that the sketch is that this segment is not going well Mm -hmm. and i can't help but enjoy watching them watching them lose it but then uh you know barry humphreys does the like low-key islamophobic bit and it's just like okay fuck uh my next note is just fuck (laughs) why is that I, I don't know. I think it's just that, like, shit's falling apart. And, like, you know, one person on Twitter said, like, what is Barry Humphreys drunk? Like, why does this feel so disconnected? Why is mm. it... Why does he he is he feel old. so zoned out? He's old. He's just really fucking old. And he should... He's put in the 30s. This character was... He was supposed to retire in 2012, and four years later, he's still, you know, trotting out
1: this tired old shit. It's... I have so much to So say weird. On all of that.
0: The last bit is that to end the segment, mercifully it ends... And he says, you know, how it's an ad for Peter Alexander, but really the whole show is just like one big ad, isn't it?
1: That was pretty funny.
0: Okay, you fucking got him. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like,
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that's this is the still frustrating true. thing. Every now and then, like
0: when either Humphreys or Everidge aren't being racist, they sometimes still do it. And maybe like in the seventies, then then again in the seventies we all probably would have been racist. But
1: I, I uh I... Again, I, I I am seeing some interesting through lines. Um, I did write around 2000 words <laughs>
0: about Jersey. Yeah.
1: Oh I deleted so many. So
0: <laughs> most most of them are cunt, most of them are talentless and most of them are hack. No,
1: no. I like I'm uh, look, I'm a bit of a nerd. I don't know if this is if this has been said before you sent me those things and i watched most of them <laughs> <laughs> and sort of after that i was like i still don't like dame edna is horrible what the fuck is going on how is dame edna so popular and so i just did a little bit of reading so everything you sent me was like the 1980s plus plus. and at this point i had read so after watching these i they went and did some reading and I read something about how Dame Edna Everidge had changed over time. Before I read further, so I stopped, went back and sought out at least like one thing that was pre-'80s Dame Edna content and I watched it and then I shared it with you, Lucas.
0: Um, yeah, just just <laughs> as, I, I assumed it was retaliation.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I, I will ask you your thoughts in a moment. But the clip was, A 1975 interview in the UK it was filmed in black and white some dude named Mark Caldwell was interviewing Dame Edna where she was promoting the film Barry McKenzie holds his own which you mentioned before just to draw it back to you earlier Australian gothic episodes two people who we've already mentioned on the pod before uh, are in this movie or related associated with this movie first is Donald Pleasance the doctor from Wake and Fright And he stars in the film. And um, also, the film was entirely funded by one Reg Grundy. What? The guy who whose name means undies, who we mentioned in the Australian slang episode. So we're just... We're already getting these recurring characters in Australian Gothic pod. It's amazing. and
0: (laughs) We're making a tapestry here. It's not random nonsense. I don't just pick whatever theme I want for that particular week. We are all coming together.
1: (laughs) But it's also very hideous.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, it's a shitty quilt.
1: (laughs) It's a shitty quilt. But otherwise, I... Personally, found this interview with Dame Edna to be quite different to the other clips that I had watched in preparation for this episode. But before I get into that, was there anything about this interview with Dame Edna that you observed to be different from the others?
0: Um, he's much younger. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. She's much younger. Much more. She she doesn't have the grand persona yet, but she's really got the acid tongue. Like she's yes. she's like really mocking. Uh, the presenter, and I think this happened at a university because she's, like, quite playfully condescending towards the people in attendance.
1: Right.
0: One, one thing that really stood out to me is that at this point, da- Barry Humphreys must have been mates with the Monty Python people because she talks about, okay, there is a famous really bad Monty Python sketch about Australians. I won't talk about it. It sucks. It's quite homophobic as well, mm. where all three Australian characters are named Bruce and apparently, the name they were going to say originally was Barry, but apparently, Dame Edna alludes to the fact that they were concerned about upsetting Barry Humphreys specifically. Now, this could just be Dame Edna doing like weird Dame Edna, like, mm, I know more than you, ego man. <laughs> right, right. But I was just like, God damn, the way she said it, like, it could be true that the pythons were like, oh no, we don't want to piss off Barry Humphreys.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't trust anything that dame edna what barry humphries says but who knows who knows
0: the memento photo but it's dame edna do not listen
1: to you, <laughs> well i actually found this interview to be very very different as i said i'd started reading an article it was titled no more please barry Humphreys and australian english by anne pender um i'll bring this piece up later on for another reason but basically it made note that the character of edna everidge was inspired by his mother which she sort of um mentioned before and started off as a way to make fun of middle suburban anglo australia but then post 80s um she took a strong turn towards misogyny racism and relentless double entendres which again we've also <laughs> mentioned um i'll expand on these points a little more in a moment but it was after reading this that I went back and watched this 1975 interview before I read more from this article. Now, the interview started off with a clip from Barry McKenzie Holds His Own, which was so unbelievably racist, it made me gasp. Um, yeah. I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, uh-huh. Like, I would not recommend people actually watch this interview. Um, if, even just for, like, the points that were very racist.
0: Uh, anti-asian racism yeah it's it's really intense so just brace yourself if you absolutely must
1: but Um, yeah it was not good um so i will so i will push back on the idea that there was an uptick in the racism in later years because it seems to me that it was very apparent from the get-go but when it goes back to the in-studio interview itself i did notice some dramatic differences in the way that the character of edna felt different from the 80s onwards clips and this makes sense especially when you're like well um sort of in the character development she was damed and then became this really like um glamorous uh famous person to me in this 1975 interview edna really did seem more like a sweet but rude middle-class woman who likes to think she's fairly open-minded but is still quite clearly very conservative in a number of ways which does sort of harken back to that cwa like country women's association feel where it's like here here's i've made this plate of lamingtons also i'm gonna drop some slurs you know what i mean yeah yep which sadly in australia we know all too well several people like this right very much and i did find her to be far more relatable in this interview like she'd get distracted by the flowers in studio and then she'd mumble to herself about how pretty they are and like oh look how pretty these are and then she'd switch and suddenly talk about like the communist bloc and politics yeah and then she would go back to talking about how she had this really pretty palm and pouring like tea And then she'd go and say something really fucking racist. And then she finished the interview with, thank you, Mark, you're a very lovely boy. I found this really weird because, like, certainly there's absolutely no excuse. I don't think there's any excuse to say anything racist, no matter how you're criticizing, like, even if you're criticizing the racism of Australia. But I did see how, like, pointing out the sort of, like, the sweet, but really rude and awful middle-class woman of Australia. Like I could see how that's pretty funny. Yeah. But but then I didn't know the, the background context to it. And from what you said, it sounds like that was the origins of Edna Efferidge. And it was almost like, but that didn't fly at least live sort of, or like, you know, in the pubs or whatever. So like, I'm wondering... Like, if those were, like, the last remnants of Edna is like, supposed to be, like, this, like, sweet little suburban lady.
0: A sweet but malevolent and very, like, passive-aggressive woman. Yeah. Before she became, like, you know, a grand dame who could make fun of Tom Jones and Lauren Bacall. Yeah. That's very telling. But, yeah, the clip where, you know, she suddenly starts talking about, like, London immigration and the ethnic makeup of London. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, okay, you've been a racist fuckhead this whole time. Yes, like, yes absolutely.
1: Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. And and but again, you know, what's what's fucked up is that this is not
0: considered controversial. Uh, like
1: It wouldn't be. I know several people be- I've no, I grew up around that sort of talk. That doesn't mean you should fucking, you know, be a comedian say that on TV. I'm just saying that like people do be thinking like that, I guess. Or at least mm-hmm. were. Um, and that is also something I'll bring up before I continue, two parts of this interview did make me laugh out loud first her anti-English dunking saying that the English have a reluctance to use deodorants and have peculiar bathing habits I cackled because it's always funny to make fun of like Turf Island, it's beautiful
0: yep, yep, that's very funny and I can't remember the exact jokes but she also makes fun of Australian culture and I wish I remember the quote because she kind of I was just like, fuck, you're coming close to, like, the premise of this podcast. Yeah, I is, know. like, something... How Australians, like, pretend to be laid back, but are also, mm-hmm. like, you know, particularly in that area, well are kind of, you know, deeply anti-intellectual or yeah. just, like, you know, quite brutish and, you know, fashy in a way. Mm-hmm. When she came close to that, it was just like, oh, my God, that's so good. And then, you know, I think immediately started talking about the ethnic makeup of London in yes. the 1970s. And it's just like, oh, fuck off. Like,
1: yes. No, you're so right. There were so many points where I'm like, oh oh no like you're identifying it's like in some instances you know again like uh barry humphrey's sort of criticism of hegemonic australian masculinity yeah i totally agree with that doesn't mean that you should be a racist misogynist like (laughs) you could be right about that and not be a fuckhead about it (laughs) i don't know
0: yeah, was it was it just easy? Was it just easy to do that when you're interviewing these rich, glamorous women? To resort to those kind of jokes. And what's interesting compared to watching it after, you know, the uh, shows from the eighties and too fat and eighties, uh, is how like sharp and concise Dame Edna is. Mm-hmm. Like when she gets on a roll, she's like, there's no interrupting her, and she's like, speaks very quickly. I was taken aback by the sharpness, whereas it felt like, particularly in the later shows, particularly the project, that I was talking about that tightrope feeling. It's because, like, Dame Edna is, like, old and is trying to connect thoughts, and Mm -hmm. you're watching this happen on air, and otherwise it's just dead fucking air. You're waiting, like, oh, please say something funny, please say something funny. Mm
1: -hmm. Whereas
0: in this interview, she's, like...
1: Very snappy.
0: At the points where she is funny, like, and, you know, making good observations, It's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, like this Mark guy basically can't get a word in. And then when he tries to ask questions, she starts fucking around with the flowers. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's almost like a deflection. It's just like, no, 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 I'm controlling this. And apparently, according to, this is from according to the comments, uh, because apparently a guy who shot that was in the comments, but, you know, take that what you will. Apparently Humphreys did that on purpose, like got one of the gladiolas and bent them so Edna would have a prop to use, which, you know, I could totally see... uh, an actor like Humphrey's doing
1: yes yeah that's interesting that, that yeah you're right like oh, that's, that's fascinating because yeah she kept taking control of the entire situation even by doing those sort of little dottery looking at the flowers sorts of things the second part of the interview that I found funny was when she was talking about being a little bit psychic or something like that um she said she doesn't do the tarot cards and I know that that's really that's really low hanging fruit but it just it oh, but she can read the jiggle bags the little tea bags and um like we
0: we had tea bags in Australia at that point didn't yeah,
1: we Yeah yes yes I don't know what she was fucking on about and then she finally pulled out like we are probably at like the um 15 minute mark here and finally she pulled out like a dirty sort of joke by saying to Mark the interviewer that he was on the cusp of Uranus and if you have Uranus behind you you can never go wrong and this yeah, did yeah. tickle me because again like she had been this sweet little woman and then all of a sudden was a dirty joke Oh,
0: which- Josie you just you dropped out for a second can you take it from Uranus huh. <laughs> oh my god fuck
1: Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness, I may have to leave this one in so- Sorry guys, we're, bo- we're both using our hotspots And we're-, we're doing our best And we just had a, we just had a fun little Freudian slip there
1: um. Can
0: you take it from uh, Dame Edward's <laughs> quotes about When you've got Uranus behind you?
1: Uh, and, and then she said If you have Uranus behind you, you can never go wrong And this did tickle me because, again, she had been this sweet little woman. And then all of a sudden there was this dirty joke, which is quite different to, like, the overbearing dirty jokes of her later stuff.
0: I did kind of chuckle at that as well. Like, I wasn't, like, hooting and hollering, but I was just like, okay.
1: It It got me just... But it's because it was, like, at that point it felt sort of out of left field. Whereas in the later stuff it's just, like, quantity over quality, which... In, in, is is how I tweet, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting paid for that, so you know. But anyway, not back, yet. Not yet. But anyway, back to this difference in tone that the Penda article highlighted. I did notice it from that one interview the article was published in the journal of australian studies back in 2001 so obviously more dame edna content came out after this but honestly since then like it's only deteriorated and possibly proven the author's Mm -hmm. point even more but yeah so it noted that humphrey's entry into australian culture occurred at a time where there was a period of unprecedented prosperity and growth and notions of national identity were being questioned Humphreys, along with a handful of other artists, were drawing attention to the dullness of white suburban Australia with its love of advertisements, shitty language, alcoholism, brick veneer villas, and the white Australia policy. At this point, it's asserted that making fun of the clusterfuck that is Australian culture was the aim, something that, you know, here on Australian Gothic Pod, we obviously love. Yep. But as time went on, the misogyny became far more apparent and rampant derogatory names for all sorts of people was on the upswing and the double entendres became what they are today unbearable <laughs> so the panda article then like it was centered around the australian english expressions that barry humphries celebrated resurrected and even invented which i'll get to soon oh. mm. there was something in it that i think sums up my assessment of humphreys so pender notes that while one might think there's a love for australian english humphreys had long been an anglophile and seemed to embody all that he loathed about australian culture which is something you mentioned just yourself before lucas about how he quite clearly hated sort of australianisms and australian masculinity including the oka accent which one of his other characters displays.
0: Les Patterson. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's the one. He often made fun of and mimicked Australian hegemonic masculinities, of which he never felt a part of. And on the face of it, I totally understand that. But it's important to think of the power dynamics here. When you're making fun of hegemonic masculinity, you're, punch- you're, you're punching up, right? Like you're not punching down. Also, though, I found this to be interesting because I know that his deep hatred doesn't, stop at Australian masculinity in fact Humphreys is quoted as saying quote I invented Edna because I hated her I suppose one grows up with a desire to murder one's parents but you can't really go and do that so I suppose I tried to murder them symbolically on stage I poured out my hatred of the standards of the little people of their generation and so Hmm. I found that to be bleak like I at first, I was really disturbed, and then, like, Robert pointed out, oh, I think, like, the whole one has a desire to murder their parents, because, like, that really bothered me. But he was like, I think that was just hemming it up.
0: Uh, and some weird Freud shit. That's because, like, Freud right? and big when he was growing up. Oh, yeah, totally.
1: So, like, but the whole, like, I, I do believe him when he says i suppose i tried to murder them symbolically on stage and then he poured out his hatreds of the standards that they sort of adhered to i i think that's very true but i don't think it stops it just you know middle class australia i think it all the things that he sort of makes fun of i think that he hates to some extent you know Yeah, I suspect hatred for his parents isn't the only thing that poured out of Humphreys and I think it's important to recognize that at this point Humphreys and Edna are hard to disentangle which we've sort of said a few times now but this is evident by the fact that like comedians who like deal in satire they say things out of shock value but then purposefully distance themselves like you were saying before but actually when it comes to transphobia both Dame Edna and Barry Humphreys have shared the same views that's when I put in my quote of the whole channeling some other person but she becomes more and more real and I do think that that's true so before I get to another thing from that article I found it interesting before so I read another study or like an article and It didn't quite make it into my notes because I was getting a bit too deep. (laughs) (laughs) But it was um, about a certain 2003 joke that was about like Latin American people, like Hispanic people. And it was about how, um, why would you want to learn Spanish unless you want to speak to the help or something like that. And it was really awful. And there was a huge backlash in America um, from, you know, Hispanic Americans, some people, including, you know, Barry Humphries were like, Oh, well, you know, they just don't understand Australian humor, but this article, and, and I'll um, pass it along to you, Lucas, so you can put it in the show notes if people are interested, but it broke down all the ways, like what it takes to fully understand a joke and mm-hmm. then like methodically went through it and be like, okay, there are people who understand a joke But even if they understand a joke, still sometimes a joke is not good or doesn't land. And it went through all these things. And then it interviewed. It brought in some uh, Australian people who were of Latin American descent, sort of asked them what they thought about this joke. And they're like, okay, we totally, fully understand Australian humor and this is still fucked up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they were just like, yeah, they're like, no, like even if I can like understand even the intention is still messed up because Barry Humphreys isn't, you know, Latin American, has doesn't fully understand the context and what it means for, you know, the, the relationship that, um, you know, white US culture has with Hispanic people and all that sort of thing. Anyway, I just found that interesting because before you mentioned, like, mate, you have no idea what you're talking about.
0: What's interesting with, like, a... Humphreys criticizing hegemonic masculinity, which is like cool. And the sinister, nice old ladies who, you know, seem very nice, but actually have like loathsome views. I guess he's like right in criticizing them, but there's a way in which he's like sneering about mm. it. And this has always been something in him. He's always been lordy. He's always been sneering. It feels like, you know, yeah, in some instances he maybe has a point. It's like, you know, yeah, these were the people who like, you know, maybe there was like legitimate grievances because they were people who made his lives hard growing up. But, like, as he got older, he, like, lost his point and just became all edge. And was just like, oh, okay, you know, people laugh when I imply an actress's genitals are drying up. So, you know, I'll say that to an actress without, without her, like, real knowledge and just, like, hope she takes it well.
1: That's horrible. And there are actually, I think you would probably get a lot out of some of these papers that have a lot of Humphrey's quotes in them. Because he explicitly says that, like... I think he said, I shock, therefore I am was a literal quote he said.
0: Again, all edge, no point. Like, you know, exactly. what's what's the point of it? You're just trying to Again, you had a point when you were eating fake vomit on a plane. You were trying to shock people out of their complacency in what was a like a lifestyle upheld by a deeply unjust and racist system and colonialism. I'm not sure if even if even Dadaist, you know, Humphreys was super aware of that. Yeah. But uh I don't know, I In some ways, it's, like, quite bleak because, like, a lot of his grievances, a lot of the things he doesn't like are stuff that we don't like on this podcast. Yes.
1: It's, like, he's identified the issue and then just reinforces that issue.
0: Yeah. And then maybe it's because he became rich and comfortable or something like that. And he was just, like, oh, okay, actually, like, these issues. Because he's clever enough that he probably understands, like, actually, a lot of these things probably serve me. So, um, I'm fine with it now.
1: It's, that, I have so, I don't. I don't like have a final hot take. He I think he's really gross and I think that there are some things he identified that are worth criticizing. I think he went about it the wrong way. I think he he's incapable of reflecting on his own behavior and I will wrap up some other thoughts, but I think the connection between him and Hey Hey at Saturday is true. It's like cultural sensitivity and like what the more truth-telling that occurs and the more that we understand, some things just don't fly anymore. And there, there is a certain brand of person who refuses to move with the times and refuses to learn. And I think that Barry Humphreys is one of those. Like, to bring it back to Jemaine Greer, I think she's a great example. You know, she's, she has written some really great feminist, you know, you know, she's written some really good stuff, but she's a transphobe and fuck her, I'm not gonna like read another word by her. Whereas you have Judith Butler, they've, you know, in the past, haven't been the best on trans stuff, but they, and then they've, they've come out and just said, hey, society's moved on, I've learned more, I fucked up, here's my new, like, you know, take on it. And they've just moved with the times and they kick ass. I just I don't know I guess like Barry Humphries is the Jermaine Greer of of comedy if anything.
0: There are so many comedians who, you know, yeah, like we you know we've seen with like Dave Chappelle and fucking what's his face the uh, sorry The Office what's his name again? Sorry, I feel so happy that I can't think of his name right now. Like
1: Rain Wilson.
0: No, not Rain Wilson. Because he, oh, he was What's actually
1: his... he was actually good. He's like, oh no, I fucked up. I'm so sorry. N-
0: no, no, no. What's his God? I legit. Uh... Sorry, Ricky Gervais. For some reason, I couldn't Oh, of UK
1: office. I'm so sorry. I made a yeah, which, yeah, yeah.
0: No, which in a way feels like a philosophical victory, not being able to know the cunt's name. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> but no, you know, he's there. Are there are so many comedians who, like, still cling to their old material. It's like, you know, oh, I made homophobic jokes in the 90s and I still should be able to do it now. And then there are like, good comedians who are just like, I said material in the 90s that I, you know, I said material 10 years ago that I wouldn't dare say now.
1: And, or, like, or like it wasn't okay then, but I didn't understand. I certainly won't say it again. Yeah, so yeah, thing, you know? exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, just tonight, before we started recording, I saw a tweet from Sean McAuliffe to... Tony Martin who did you know The Late Show which is something we will tackle like it's the anniversary of like The Late Show first going to air this very you know transgressive and fun like talk show comedy show that aired in the 90s and uh, Sean McAuliffe said like watching The Late Show inspired him to quit his job as a lawyer and go and work in comedy unfortunately the show he was working on was full frontal which you know Mm. still did blackface and like has I imagine aged very poorly except for the sketches with like Sean McAuliffe and Eric Banner in them but like even Sean McAuliffe you know looks back at like the stuff that launched his career and he was just like yeah that sucked I wouldn't do it again
1: it's it's fine to to say that you fucked up guys it's all right you can do it you won't die you
0: can (laughs) disavow old material it's fine
1: yeah that's cooler than doing a humphreys but um before i wrap up on my final thoughts there was one part of this Penda article because again it was focusing on um like australian english expressions brought up like um that were popularized if not invented by barry humphreys and some of them shocked me um is it okay if i go ahead with that yeah sure yeah sure so the first one you can put it up your freckle if you don't flame and like it. Um What? What does freckle mean in this context? I've
0: I've definitely heard this in some of the Barry Humphreys show, like a, a anus.
1: Yes. So freckle meaning anus dates back to 1967 and was first used used by Humphreys one year later and again in 1978 and Humphreys Like it was mentioned once before Humphreys mentioned it. Jesus. And they uh, humphreys like popularized it um the next one is uh that sheila bangs like a shit house door is another example of humphreys insults that have gained a place in the vernacular and ties back to our slaying episode because what did you? he dad- invented
0: bangs like a dunny door
1: uh it wasn't clear if invented but at least popularized it
0: good lord oh my my god there's no escaping this fucking guy
1: nope no it is there is none and this really disturbed me okay now this one fucked me up lucas if i bring up the term liquid lunch what does that mean
0: uh vomit
1: oh okay does it
0: or drinking sorry or
1: yeah, like To
0: drink copiously, sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, day drinking basically. That is a Barry Humphreys special that is used widely in Australia. He invented that one. This one is one that I really hate and is almost certainly a Barry Humphreys invention. I'm dry as a nun's nasty.
0: Oh, I've heard that, yeah. I think I've probably it. heard that in in the stuff we were watching. oh uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's it's yark.
1: Yeah, I hate it so much. I hate it. It came up in um, where we put a call out for like, people's favourite Australian slang or like expressions or idioms. Um, that was mentioned a few times. Yeah, that was him. And crack of fat was not coined, but was popularised by Humphreys, which we also Sh- mentioned. Jesus. Yep. Yeah, it.
0: Wow, okay, God, this. This really... I was going to describe Barry Humphreys as, like, a leviathan, like, lurking under Australian culture, and he really fucking really? is. Really?
1: Like, this stunned me. I had no idea.
0: Which makes it all the more sad that, like, you know, you know not only has he, like, gone on to say horrible shit, but, like, I guess has been saying horrible shit the whole time.
1: But it, it's also, like, this thing, like, even... We know, right, that he hates Australianisms, like, Australian... English and slang and Ocker talk. And yet he encouraged it so much because this is the thing with satire. If you don't do it really well, you're just reinforcing it.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like Barry McKenzie became very popular with the people that Barry McKenzie was trying to satirize. So yeah, not the, you know, the old tweet about like satire without clarity, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's it. And I think, you know, just thinking about just now, it's not that Barry Humphreys punched down. It's just, he punched everywhere. Like, he's just like, no, everything I can make jokes mm-hmm. about everything. And Then because he like lacked clarity as well, yeah. you know, some of his jokes ended up being like, you know, reappropriated and like being incorporated into Australian English. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is also, I guess, kind of a defense mechanism. If we are like a laid back culture, we can take like jokes about ourselves and weave them into the culture until it becomes like indistinguishable, whether it like, you know, that it was a joke in the first place. Uh, I do find that kind of fun. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's Barry Humphreys, I think. He's just, like, in a way too smart for his own good.
1: Yes. Like, he was... Oh, oh. I you think... know,
0: too... too not, not in regards know, Being, like, a sharp wit does not, you know, make you exempt from being, like, a racist piece of shit. You can still have, like, shitty opinions.
1: It's very much it feels very much like oh it's just a joke bro but actually just not in, in terms of the things that he's identified that is worthy of criticism yeah it's like yeah you're right but that still doesn't make what you said okay does that sort of make sense like
0: yeah exactly uh, i don't
1: like, know um well him to- him complaining
0: about like there being like too many asians in uh... London during that special is just like yeah, so what if you've seen some Asians? like how is that a problem like he doesn't like how is that a problem like no just saying like no just that it's an inherently bad thing that like i can see asian people in london instead of the population just being white all the time it's just like n- 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 but wh- that... what's the fucking problem what's the problem elaborate like and he doesn't he just like it's... goes on and says it's a bad thing yeah uh, in, sorry in 2011 he got in hot water for his wife became an australian citizen And he made some quips about, like, how there are too many Asians in Australia. Sorry, I should have mentioned uh, this is the part where we talk about, like, anti-Asian rhetoric. Mm. Uh, And a a very good pedestrian article actually broke down immigration statistics and said, like, okay, in the last year, like, 8% of Australian immigrants have been from, like, you know, predominantly Asian-speaking countries. 20% came from England. You're full of shit. Fuck off.
1: It's just
0: like, it's like, no, you're just, you're not making...
1: From, I don't know how true this... Still is, but from my understanding, um, people who overstay their visas, it's more often than not um, English people and, like, white, yeah, white people. Um, Just not going home.
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's just, it's very clear that, like, in that particular instance, the anti-Asian thing, like, uh, he's just been, and also, like, I think his son writes for Spectator. I think he, you know, he has ties to, like, the shitty right-wing rag, the Spectator. I think Mm. there's an Australian version of it as well. Uh, fuck the spectator. But, uh, yeah, he's always, like... Yeah, he's wanted to make fun of, like, anti-intellectualism in Australia, but, like, still holding up this, like, no-no, being, like, an educated white man is, like, the best thing you can be. And everything else should be, like, you know, prime for ridicule. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I guess, the vibe I'm coming towards at the end of all this.
1: Which, something that really um before my final thoughts something like one of my first thoughts that i had was when Dame edna like in one of the clips you know she came down the stairs and showed a bit of leg in like this slit dress that she was wearing and i was just thinking about sort of the current rhetoric around um and conflation between drag queens and transgender people obviously they're not that's not the same thing but it's spun like drag queen story time you know where drag queens go and read stories at libraries because it's a fun thing to do and it's community community engagement and just showing other ways of being yeah an expression and that's fine um but you know now it's turned into trans people and also thereby to these people drag queens uh people in drag you know they're quote unquote groomers and i'm like i wonder how like i wonder if dame edna was presented on tv in that same way today on like you know you know broadcast nationally on free to air tv how people would take it i don't know if like like not obviously i i would like to think that most people would be fine with it but i think that there would be an uproar from possibly who, like the people who were like Damon's biggest fans or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, um,
0: I know it was absolutely a shock in a lot of queer communities to see this person. They idolize. is just like this virulent transphobe that must've sucked. We're going to talk about this a little bit when we do our eventual Skyhooks episode. Okay. Cause there is a way of doing like drag and like soft, soft drag, soft glam in Australia. Whereas long as you make it very clear that, oh you're just having a bit of a joke. It's, and I guess if you do it with enough swag, you can pull off doing something that, you know, in the 1970s, like, you know, being an out drag queen, unless you were explicitly comedic and even then kind of eh, like you had to do it in such a way as like, oh, this is kind of a joke, aren't I silly? Mm. Otherwise, you know, like there was a very real threat of danger to you. Yeah. Uh. So that's something that's something we're going to have to unravel in that episode, because it's like it's weird but that's kind of what Dame Edna's doing it's like yeah because her costumes are like to some extent glamorous but they're also like just very very silly and o- over the top to such a degree where it's clear that it's a joke so it's yeah, like yeah, oh yeah. no one would actually dress like this but also like oh look she's got this like funny working lizard on her dress like
1: yeah and like i So this is a thing and this is something I'm going to have to unravel in my own time is that Dame Edna impacted how I feel or like felt about drag initially because that's what I understood drag to be. That someone could be an absolute asshole uh, and get away with it if they were dressed, you know, in drag. And that's obviously not what it is, but um, that was my first exposure to it. I think this concluding statement by pender sums up my sort of final thoughts well as a satirist is that how you say it yeah um, as a satirist humphreys unearthed expressions that are peculiarly not this word again peculiar, peculiarly yeah that one australian and invented many more In his heyday, his comic material simultaneously criticized, reinforced, and celebrated problematic aspects of Australian culture, but not anymore. So, because it was kind of talking about how society's moved on and you can't do that anymore. It's not up to date. Like, I mean, to be fair, and, and my pushback on that is that there were always people saying this isn't okay. It's just, you know, whose voices we prioritize and stuff. Yeah. But basically, Barry Humphries and Dame Edna are a relic. They're kind of interesting to look at, but only really in the way where you find something that's either technically alive or once was on the beach and, like, poke it with a stick, grimacing the whole time. Which, of course, <laughs> is, like, very much our jam here at Australian Gothic. And I think that's why there's a lot of sort of, like, weird uncomfortable like i felt very strange looking at barry Humphreys and dame edna because i'm like i'm seeing so many observations here that i agree with and so many that i totally do not and never could not excuse um
0: yeah and the other grim thing i know i in a very clumsy bit in our first episode compared saturday night live to dracula dame edna is a bit like that as well like it won't it won't stay dead and, you know, it was very impressive when she was alive, but now just, like, won't go away, won't stay dead. Also, sadly, I guess, clarifying my thoughts is, like, Barry Humphreys has always been kind of a sneering little shit and never really moved past that and never really knew that, like, you know, you know they could do anything other than, like, punch down or, like, you know, never knew how to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. It- I have, my closing statement is from an interview he did on the show Enough Rope with Andrew Denton, probably its own episode. I read the whole thing and was just like, oh god, he he captured it, he's he's become this, he cursed himself. This is from 2003. My mother would sit there at the mat, sorry, this was about uh, his mum taking him to matinee shows as a kid, so taking him to the theatre. My mother would sit there at the matinee and afterwards she'd say, isn't it pathetic at this age that he's still doing it? Um, this is in regards to, like, old performers that have been dragged out to the show. Oh my god. She went there with a kind of sense of schadenfreude. She really enjoyed the tragic spectacle of RT way past their prime, struggling to do something which was beyond their scope. Rouged up, overpainted, unable to remember their lines. That's what gave my mother the greatest pleasure. I think I may have inherited this characteristic from her. Isn't it pathetic? And I'm lo- Uh, that's in setting quotes. Quoting his mum. And I'm longing to see people turning to their children saying that in my audiences. Say, quote, Well, I remember when he was quite good, you know. He used to be funny. He used to be funny.
1: Ooh. It's but like, this, like, is, the th- this is the yourself, thing. You cursed yourself man. But this is the thing is like, he hasn't been. For, like, his greatest success was when he wasn't funny. Like, yep. <laughs> you know, even. Even if you could somehow overlook the fucking awful, awful racism of that 1975 clip, like, you know, you could say that there were funny funny moments there or witty moments there, but that, like, that was, like, towards the end, like, that was just before she became this really glamorous, glitzy, full-on cunt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's my thoughts on Dame Edna. I didn't, for someone who I didn't have, like, any sort of opinion on except for like oh i'm pretty sure you're a transphobe yeah have lots of opinions now. don't like it
0: yeah don't like it either and uh we are i will i will post uh, links to the episodes we watched if you feel like torturing yourself <laughs> uh we'd love to know your opinions of uh, Dave Mender Everidge. uh i'm finally going to quote the movie pet cemetery and say that dead is better <laughs> uh, not, not not to barry Humphreys, but maybe just 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 for the love of god retire retire the character right. just you're, you're rich just go fucking chill out oh delete god. your social media
1: log off <laughs> log off in like i can't emphasize this enough please log off barry Humphreys. <laughs> um uh, something i will say is yeah so apparently we totally undersold the racism in hey hey it's saturday and i can almost guarantee that way, underselling the racism of Dame Edna. Um, just in case people want to go watch the video, like, please be warned.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's quite shocking. But uh, yeah, I would like to, as we wrap up, I would like to apologise to my co-host for making her not only watch a uh, Dame Edna, uh, a to Dame Edna clips, but also, like, uh, forcing her bad brain to, like, make her do lots of research on Dame Edna.
1: Yeah, well, you didn't force me. This is what I do. This is what I do. <laughs>
0: well anyway uh, thank you everyone for listening please let us know what you think of Dame Edna Uh, Josie is there anything else?
1: no please never ever ever make me watch another clip of Dame Edna even if she comes up sort of tangentially um, again (laughs) thank you
0: (laughs) I promise we will only watch Barry McKenzie if we absolutely have to
1: (laughs) okay I do kind of want to watch it
0: (laughs) okay thanks everyone bye bye Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Twitter at Pod, on SoundCloud at Australian Gothic. You can listen to Josie's other podcast at a Hill to Die on Pod. You can follow Josie at JSSPCR1, and you can follow me at Luxasm. Uh, thanks again for listening. Love you.